Welcome, welcome, welcome to Bard's Backlog, episode number 16. I am your host, Josh Gallegos, joined this week, of course, as always, by the casual, Jared Benson. Jared, how's it out there in cold Oklahoma? <laughs> you know, it's funny. Uh, I, I, I have moved here, and uh, a couple Thursdays ago is when we were all, like, getting ready to hunker down, and mm-hmm. um, it, the, the residents were telling me, like, you will never see this again. Welcome to Oklahoma. <laughs> like, huh. it's the it's the most snow they've had in, like, 120 years, they said. Yeah. So so it was crazy, and uh, I think Texas did much worse than we did. We really oh, yeah. didn't have a problem with blackouts or brownouts or anything like that, so... But uh, just to add something to that, like Oklahomans are the nicest people, Josh, that I have ever met. I'm so serious. All of them. A hundred percent of the people that I've met here have been nice. It blows my mind. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. They've really made us feel at home. So how do they feel about uh, their whole state potentially becoming an Indian reservation? (laughs) You know, (laughs) I don't know. I haven't really talked to any of them about it. Um, Maybe I will, um, but I I have that topic has not come up. Okay, yeah, ask about it. I'm curious. That you do yeah. you we talked about it a little bit yesterday, but you give a pretty good pitch for Oklahoma that I've never heard from anyone before, particularly with the the kindness of the people there and just how chill everyone seems to be. Yeah, is there any more you'd want to add if you were say we're elevator pitch to someone to move out there? What would you tell them? It has everything you want. So, like, literally um, across the street, uh, right down the way from my house, is a skydiving place, uh, Top Golf, uh, Cabela's. Every like fast food restaurant is like, you know, within driving distance. I think there's even an In and Out within like three hours of here. Um, nice, which is a California chain. Yeah, and then uh, so everything you could want is here. You've got the city, you've got the big city vibes, and then you've got big big suburb, uh, suburban vibes or big, yeah, suburb vibes, uh, north of the city in a town called Edmond, which is where I work and, uh, which is super nice. And, you know, it's got, it's got everything you can want. So, uh, it's, it's flat, but it still has like, <laughs> I don't know, trees and some scenery. And, uh, there's a river walk downtown. Uh, there's a, there's a lake called Lake Hefner where people go wind sailing. Um, so you got your, your air, your, uh, water exposure if you need that and there's so many restaurants and i'm a foodie so i'm just in heaven i have a list like 45 restaurants long of places to go to so nice uh yeah i'm I'm just it's got everything you could need and it's low cost of living i guess the biggest elevator pitch i could make is to young people it's like you can still have the exact life that you want without all the taxes of california it's not going to be nice hmm. weather wise as what we- you know it's not gonna be as nice weather wise of course but i mean no other place is so you know you tell me do you want to start your life on a good footing and have money to spare and, you know, go, then come to Oklahoma and uh, live in the big city like you still want to in Oklahoma City? So it's nice. I, re- I really like it here. Awesome. Yeah, I, I have no issue with, like, potentially moving there. I've actually been thinking a lot, and this is probably thanks to the influence of Tim Pool. I got into the Tim cast recently, and he talks a lot about, like, kind of just living off the grid like living yeah. in some of these lower uh, cost of living states where it's maybe out of the way, maybe you're a little bit more remote, but you get yep. everything you need and, you know, just like kind of sustaining yourself in minor ways and just living more of a remote life where you're separated from all the madness of the politics that are going on today and the 
you know, different executive orders and um, yeah. mandates being passed. So that is something that I have been thinking a lot about. And most of those Great Plains states tend to be lower cost of living. Yes. Yeah. History lesson. I was just talking about Oklahoma the other day in my class because the uh, the inception of the state itself came, it's one of the last Great Plains states to come into the Union, and that's because they held off for a while because it was an Indian reservation. They gave that to the Cherokee back during Andrew Jackson, and when he moved them all out during the Trail of Tears, they promised Oklahoma as their home, and then they ended up just giving it away anyway. But like, it's such an interesting state story because people lined up on the border like it was it was set to be opened up for people to go and settle in and people literally lined up on the border and then on i think it's april 22nd of one of the later years in the 1800s they fired off a cannon you know in multiple locations across the border and people just ran in and they were like on bicycles they were on wagons some people have at that point you had cars so some people were on cars and horses just like swarming into the state and like within a year they had enough to start to put together legislation to become a, a state but it was just like a super unique way yeah. for a state to come into the union and yeah. with that like the entirety of the west pretty much was settled at that point so oklahoma you very that, interesting there that reminds me of that the bible story that's like the guys uh have to like line up and then go and grab their bride from the field <laughs> i can't remember the context of that story <laughs> yeah. but it's essentially like a bride grab <laughs> the same way <laughs> people had old had weird customs back in the day <laughs> yeah yeah, it was kind no, of cool the way the government handled it because you would yeah. you could go out, you could it basically you had to go find pegs, like sticks in the ground, and you would pull that out and have a number on it, and then you'd go back, pay for the um the deed, and then that land was yours. So you had like a number that matched whatever that percentage of acreage was, and then that was oh, yours. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, so that's more organized than I'm picturing it in my head then. Right. Yeah. So yeah. they already <laughs> split it up a little bit so that people weren't fighting over territory as much as, you know, it probably had happened in past time. So Oklahoma, check it out. Yeah. Get out of California, guys. It's not all that check out some of these other states anyway this is of course bard's backlog a video game podcast uh this is an ever-growing catalog of video games inducted into the great the esteemed hall of games we are the gatekeepers and subsequent executioners of any video game candidate including today's write in to bard's backlog at ask vgb at gmail.com v video g game b bard ask vgb at gmail.com that will be our way to connect with us decided to get that set up after kind of just recognizing the fact that we're not nearly on social media as much as we had been in the past although jared i did get an exclusive invitation to clubhouse the other day and i'm interested to see how that particular social media ends up working out pretty small at this point but it has a unique setup in that you have to get into it by invite only i think there is a list that you can join and you're on like a waiting list to get on as well but the the quickest way to get on is through invite one of my friends when you first join you only have two invites and he like gave it to me and he was like you don't understand how rare this is like you should feel honored and i was like oh my goodness is this like how you know, the elites feel yeah, yeah, that's a really. I wonder how that system will work. I, I guarantee you, 
that some people will buy access to it, of course. Yeah. And uh, and but two per person, and you just kind of slowly let the program build and spread, and you keep the quality really high. As soon as I heard the business model, I was like, oh, that actually might be a really welcome reprieve from you know Twitter. The mm-hmm. the, the problem the problem I have is is often anonymity. And I, you know, we don't even have to get into it. Obviously there's pros and cons to anonymity, but man, there's just so many trolls. It's just, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's exhausting dealing with them. So dealing with it on Reddit, dealing with it on Twitter, Facebook is harder to people looking at you as a possible troll because there's plenty of like fake people with different, you know, avatars that aren't actually them. And so they're trolling, even though they look real. And so mm-hmm. I think sometimes people even, like, if you're not verified, some people think of you as a potential troll, so. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and Clubhouse is, it's basically just live podcasting, like you join a group and then everyone just has a conversation. I'm hoping to actually, I was just thinking about this today, like, once enough of my friends get into it, just kind of have a hangout and, like, catch up. Because it's basically just a, a big conference call, you know? Right. So, Neat idea, but uh, if you want to reach out to us, email us at askvgb at gmail.com. You can also support the podcast by giving our social media posts a like when those do go up. Follow us there or at your podcast service of choice. Most of them give you the option to subscribe or to get the notification when the new episode comes out. I would suggest you do that. You could also drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. We accept all honest reviews as long as they are five stars. I haven't seen any recently, so last I checked was last week, and I didn't see any new reviews. Also, check out the Red Pixel podcast. If you don't want to hear more of this focused kind of podcast in video gaming, you can check out Red Pixel. We do news over there, so we broke down the latest Nintendo Direct. We'll talk next week about the state of play that happened today. Things like that, the different parts of the industry that are developing, advancing. We'll talk about new games coming out, so on and so forth. Whereas Bard's backlog is more focused on a singular title and breaking it down. Last time on the backlog, we talked about Immortals Phoenix Rising, a surprise sleeper hit from 2020 that entered into our Hall of Games. Well deserved. I actually re-downloaded it. I had it deleted after I beat the game. I re-downloaded it after that podcast and am planning on getting the DLC and jumping back in soon. Haven't had the chance yet, but it's a great game. Looking forward to playing the extended content in it. Uh, before we jump into the games we play in, Jared, I just wanted to ask you a, a lighthearted question, nothing that uh, is controversial in any way. Do you think we should, as a country, revert to a confederacy? Um, def- so, refresh my memory. You're the history buff. Yeah. What do you mean when you say confederacy? Because I'm not so clear the, on the details. So, we are, at this point, kind of like an, an oligarchy, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, but technically the type of government that we are under is a federal republic so you have the states themselves that have their own autonomy but they all answer to a central government which is congress the supreme court and the executive branch the presidency and the presidency the 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 federal government that federal branch is supposed to be minimal it was supposed to be limited and the states are supposed to be a lot more autonomous And a lot of people were against the idea of a federal republic because they would have preferred a confederacy, which is what we first were under the Articles of Confederation. So actually, the start of our government was a confederacy, and then we went back and rewrote the Constitution. A confederacy is basically just an agreement between autonomous states to work together in in the case of war, 
um, in the case of setting economic, um, you know, restrictions or anything with other countries. States would work in tandem, but each state is highly autonomous in the Confederacy. Uh, at the time of our starting, each state had its own currency, each state had its own mini army, uh, and that ended up becoming more of a problem at that time than uh, it was worth. And so that's why you have the federal government set up. But we're at a point now where we're really not unified by a whole lot, not really by principles, not by any particular set of morals. Um, and the federal government has grown so much bigger than certainly our founding fathers ever expected or any of our federal officials in the first 100 years of the country being around. And it's just gotten to such a large point that right now I would say we're, we're an oligarchy, which is basically rule by elites and rule by many people call it the deep state. So my question is, should we revert back to the states having more autonomy to make their own laws, to make their own decisions? Uh, of course, there is still some of that there, but to really revert back to that then put states at a higher value than the federal government. So I think the one reason that you can... Ooh, let's, how do I say this? Um, like, yes Tread and no. lightly. Yeah, I'm trying. Yeah, I'm trying. <laughs> Uh, and not that I'm super worried about being offensive, but um, I, I, I don't want to say something stupid. Um, so, I, so like Kentucky, for instance, is a state sure. that relies, and I, I mean relies, on federal aid. So I, I'd be nervous that you'd have massive pockets of poverty, way worse than it's already at. Um, if you've read like Hillbilly Elegy, you'll mm-hmm. know that parts of Ohio and Kentucky are just poverty-stricken because we sent all of our manufacturing to China. <clears throat> Excuse me. Right. So so I'm worried that without federal aid, a lot of these states won't be able to keep up and they'll just become sinkholes. Um, and, you know, we're going to end up with third world countries within a, within a one world country. So mm. I think the loose structure that we have now creates a good floor. Um, but as far as autonomy, yeah, it, it's just that it wouldn't... I'm guessing, I'm hypothesizing, it wouldn't really matter. You'd end up with New York and California controlling things anyway because mm-hmm. of their outsized financial influence. Um, you, you know what I mean? So if, you, sure. if you're doing, if you're talking about states and bargaining with each other, you're going to have all of the smartest people are in Silicon Valley. That doesn't bode well for, you know, Montana. You know what I mean? So as, as far as like trying to trade or trying to, you know, or you have states with excessive natural resources being able to pick on states with very few natural resources. Sure. Or like West Virginia is mostly mountains. What do they really have to offer anyone? So, you know, <laughs> I, I guess I, I think I, I could be wrong. But um, but I've, tri- I've traveled through there. It's mostly just mountains. But, but you know, you see what I'm saying? So I think you might have bullies uh, become the heads of state in these different states. And then, mm-hmm. you know, it, it might become an issue and... And whatever else. I don't know. I, I, I probably don't know enough on the issue to answer your question intelligently, but I'd be worried that some states would pick on other states. It's just like the libertarian, like, oh, there should be no public roads. <laughs> like, all the roads should be private. It's, in a really, it's a really extreme libertarian view on things, but it's like, I don't want to pay tolls every road I drive on. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And that's what would happen if everything was privatized. And I think if everything was uh, shrunken down to the state, state level, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what would happen. We'll see. 
I think it would definitely weaken us. And at this point in our history, we we already have gotten to a weakened state that we're we're looking at something like China and recognizing that it's it's becoming more competitive, more of a threat. So yeah, taking that step back would weaken. And I think for that reason, it's it's probably not the best idea. But it's a nice thing to think about, I guess, to me, just like having... Basically, it would be like a bunch of mini countries all kind of like loosely banded together. Yeah. Kind of like an EU, I guess. Kind of. Um, yeah. Although the, the EU is a little bit more of a bigger central legislative body um, right. than I'm, I'm sure the states would approve of. But yeah, it's a nice ideal, especially after seeing everything with COVID, like just thinking through it's like, oh man, that'd be nice to just have a little bit more autonomy within these states. And now with, you know, all the executive orders being shoved down our throats at the same time, it's like, okay, yeah, I would like it to be a little bit more autonomous, but it would certainly weaken us. And it it's becoming like, there's the globalists to worry about at this point right. in history. And that's, that's, you know, that's the, a step in the opposite direction. And that's right. where things are trending toward. And so it would be very difficult to go backwards. Right. Uh, but one can dream. <laughs> no, I'm with you. Is basically my final say on that. Anyway, just a just a lighthearted question, something I've been mulling over. But without further ado, let's jump into the games we play in. kicked off here i have been dabbling in several different games i'd say the biggest game i've been playing is super mario 3d world plus bowser's fury just got re-released on the switch and is awesome man i love this game top top three mario game for me uh, really for sure oh yeah it's like the perfect combination of both forms of mario so you have the course-based, level-based 2D Mario, yep. uh, which really reached its peak with games like Super Mario 3 and uh, World, uh, yeah, World. And then you have the 3D Mario, like Mario 64 and Sunshine, where there's more hub-based. And it, sure. it, it's it's in 3D, but it has the, the spirit of the 2D, and that it's short levels. Most of them you can get through in, like, 45 seconds maybe even 30 seconds if you're really fast and some of them are even shorter than that like there's one there's one level i was just playing today that's it starts you at 100 seconds to beat it and that's and to 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 go through the entire level and that's to like get all the collectibles so it gives you time to like do all that before you have to touch the flagpole at the end um and you can as soon as you start you see the flagpole in the corner of this like box like arena and so it's it's simple in that way more simple than mario odyssey and its levels are where they're kind of sprawling and there's a lot of different moons to find it's not like that uh so it has a lot more of the 2d actual actuality like the 2d bones of it but it's in 3d and it Mm -hmm. controls great 
they for this version sped up the movement of the characters and it feels awesome it just feels great it has so many crazy ideas that it throws at you and so many like this was before odyssey introduced the capture mechanic this was the peak of all the different types of power-ups that mario could have sure and what those could mean certainly with cat mario playing the main role but it's also multiplayer so you can have four people running around, which is insanity. But yeah, those I, I are like, always chaotic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I like two people. Like two people co-op. I think is perfect for this game. Are it you and like Karina good at it together? You guys got some rhythm going. Yeah, yeah, and and it's awesome. Just sitting down with her, and I have one save file by myself, and then I have one with her, and we'll play every now and then. Try to just bust through several levels, maybe get to the castle and beat the boss for that particular world, and then move on. But I think it's, like, perfect for co-op. And that's not something Odyssey does, you know? And so yes, in that way, right. it's it's awesome. And each of the characters moves a little bit different. you got Mario, Luigi, Peach, and Toad. Uh, later, Rosalina that you can unlock. They all have their own special traits. And so in that way, it just it's fresh. It, it's original, but at the same time, it's totally based on all the other Mario games. And it's a ton of fun. I am loving replaying it. And there's a lot of things I didn't remember from my first playthrough with it. And so it's been great to go back. Plus, it has Bowser's Fury added to it, which is more of an experiment. So the way that Bowser's Fury is set up is more like Mario Odyssey, where it's like one map. You're given one big map, but you have... It's bigger than any map in Odyssey, and you have different parts that unlock over time. And each different section of the map has smaller courses in it, like a typical Mario game. And then there are multiple different... They're called cat shines in this game, but it's basically mm-hmm. like the star system or the moon system. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're called cat shines, though, which is the weirdest thing in the world. Um, that you go and find in each of the minier courses, and then there are it's the, there's the larger world to explore as well. And the entire time you have giant bad guy Bowser in the background who will awaken and then totally change the way that the um, environment is and like spikes will rain down from the sky and will open up new areas for you to go to and stuff. Uh, And he'll have like his fury mode activated for a period of time. And then, of course, your your whole goal is to upgrade. You basically become Super Saiyan Mario and take out Bowser in several different boss fights. I would say that the Bowser's Fury, actual Bowser's Fury part of the Bowser's Fury uh, uh, expansion is a little bit redundant because you're playing the same boss fight. I think you do it four times, actually, maybe three. I might be I might be over overstating that. Well, at the end, you end up having a whole extra section added onto it. But it's it's an ex- like that part's a little bit redundant, but they were going for you can tell on the whole package like some some unique idea that actually feels a little bit more akin to the leap that Zelda made from Skyward Sword to Twilight Princess, um, where they just were going for this open world feel. Like, how would this work in a just more open setting? And I think it's an experiment that Nintendo's kind of testing out to see how it plays later, and it's a really fun experiment at that. So really enjoying that. We could talk about that for forever after this but bowser's fury really great not worth the 60 dollars on its own thankfully it's coupled with of course 3d world to make it well worth the purchase but just for an experiment it was really neat like nintendo didn't need to do that you know 
Yeah, they didn't. But the need... fact that they're they're pushing the bounds is good. Yeah. Yeah, and they're trying something out, and it is very different from anything else they've done with Mario, and so it's really cool in that respect. And everything's a cat. Everything. Like, there are birds, <laughs> and they're cats. Your your dinosaur friend, Plessy, also is a cat. Oh. Uh, like, and by is a cat, I mean, like, they have cat ears and a cat tail, typically. Uh, the trees and the bushes are all cats. Literally everything. Uh, so... That's kind of weird, <laughs> but it, it's also kind of fun. But I could More see them taking this. For. Yeah, uh, but I could see them taking this and making a whole game around it and really loving it. Uh, me really loving it. So I, I am curious to see what they end up doing with this new idea that they were messing around with with Bowser's Fury. But I would highly recommend that game. I'd love to cover it at some point in Bard's Backlog. Quick honorable mentions as well. I started up Paper Mario Origami King. And don't like it. <laughs> I really don't like it. Uh, it's really kind of bland and boring, which I wasn't expecting. It's humorous. There's a lot. Of, it's it's, it's well written, I'd say. But that's like the only thing that's really hooking me. The, the mm. combat's boring. The exploration is kind of boring and generic. And they try to do neat things by like hiding toads in different places. And so it kind of makes you want to explore things and like hit on something that might be a little bit out of place or suspicious, but I really am just disappointed in this game. And I've played, I played through the first world and kind of dropped it. I'll probably try to push through it, but not happy with it. To be honest, I really don't think it, it fits well. It doesn't do the paper Mario series justice. So unfortunate, situation there uh but nonetheless one that i have been playing fairly recently i I, like i said i have dropped it since then and then i also jumped into borderlands 3 just to like get uh get some progress going but also to do just some some mindless exploration in in a bigger game uh really great gameplay loop it's easy to just play this game and have a podcast going at the same time so that's been nice for me to kind of unwind from time to time i'll probably be dropped i was planning on just jumping into that and finally beating it because i haven't beat it but i think i'm going to jump back out since we're going to be covering fire emblem i'm going to need to dedicate more time to that so uh borderlands 3 also just an honorable mention of a game that i've been playing each of these games that you've mentioned has been one where i've seen and just haven't felt compelled enough to pull the trigger and so I, I guess what I, from what I'm hearing, I'll probably pick up Super Mario 3D World. And maybe we'll cover it at some point. But uh, the other two, you know, not sold. But that's why we have the games we play. And Josh and I use each other's uh, this segment to kind of like, hey, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I like, you know. And several of these games, you know, end up being actual podcast episodes. So yeah, do you? So question: Do you like 2D Mario games, like just the normal course-based ones? Um. Not really. Like, I guess I okay. do if if I'm playing it, but they don't really have any special draw or appeal. I'm much more, and I'm sure our listeners have probably picked up on this by now, but, like, I'm much more of an open-world person. Like, that's mm-hmm. definitely my 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 comfort zone, so. So, I, I will state, just, just to be perfectly honest, Mario 3D World is in the spirit of the 2D games. Okay. So... Just so you're aware of that. Bowser's Fury is more of an open world feel, but it's short. Like, I beat it in an afternoon. I think it took me four hours to 100% it. So, 
it's like I said, an experiment. So it, I, I think like just be cautious of that if you do end sure. up picking it up, and it might be yeah, more yeah, fun yeah. to play with with Lucy, if you yeah. if you'd be interested in that. What games have you been playing, Jared? You know, um, I really don't have much to offer this segment, but I'll say that every once in a while I pick up uh, Asphalt Legends. It's definitely a mood. It's a, it's a game I mentioned. I can't remember if it was last podcast. I think it was. I um, think just so. Kind of, just kind of a racing game um, that's like arcadey and fun and, uh, you know, great graphics, um, you know, music. It's fun. It's a whole, it's a mood game. You know, you got to be in the mood to play it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and I've enjoyed it. So I am also dipping my toe into the water of Magic the Gathering. Oh, uh, man. Yeah, and it's apparently this massive world, and I picked up mm-hmm. an early access download on the Google Play Store um, because I'm an Android user, you weebs. Um, and uh, so I, I'm looking forward to getting into that because it's always been something that's appealed to me, this kind of, like, fantasy thing that it is. And, you know, that's always been my... my uh, niche and things that I've preferred like that. So I'm looking forward to it. I never got into, you know, the physical card game of it, obviously. So we'll see if my uh, passion can be awakened in mobile. And then the next time you see me, I'm wearing one of those really corny, like, Assassin's Creed hoods, you know, and I become, <laughs> like, weird. So we'll see, Josh. I take offense to that because I bought one of those Assassin's Creed corny <laughs> hoodies in the past. Oh, man. That was like one of the first Facebook ads I fell for. Oh, like, geez. <laughs> when those started to become a thing, there was like this really awesome looking Assassin's Creed hoodie. I was like, oh my goodness, that looks amazing. And I bought it and it was garbage. Yeah. <laughs> it was the worst material and it like poofed out. So it didn't even look sleek. It was terrible. It was a terrible oh, uh, purchase. But yeah, I take a little offense to that. <laughs> you should <laughs> you should check out, um, gosh, the name of it is escaping me. Um, it's Blizzard's card game. I can't think of the name of it, but that one I think is a little bit less intense than Magic, but just as addicting. Okay. I don't know if they have it on mobile though, so that might be. Um, sorry, I'm I'm looking up what it's called so I can actually say the name. Uh, Hearthstone. 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 Okay, I've heard of that. Yeah, I I got into Hearthstone. A, I didn't get. 100% I'd say like 70% and I pulled back because I ended up spending there was like two nights in a row where I spent four and a half hours playing it when I was supposed to be doing other stuff <laughs> and I was like I can't do this and so I, I pulled away from it but that's a really that's awesome me, uh, that's me with Hades <laughs> yeah <laughs> no for real yeah we'll be getting to that in just a minute uh, and that's what you've mostly been playing right is from what you mentioned yes yeah definitely so between moving here you know and uh, working a full-time job and getting my master's degree and Hades, I have not had any time for other games. <laughs> so. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the games we play in. Let's go ahead and break open the sacred, the bizarre, the strange default segment here. I have this listed as a Jared lore segment. Go back and listen to, I don't remember which episode it was, but there was a previous episode where we had a Jared lore 
its default segment, and basically the idea is to dive deep into the history that is Jared Benson. Um, <laughs> the cat. But this is kind of open up to both of us, I suppose. The question yes, that I have I, yeah. here is, how slash when were you introduced to the greatness that is video games? I thought it'd be neat to kind of give our origin story, as it were, uh, yeah. to the industry. I believe uh, the first time I was ever introduced to video games was when um, my so my dad was a youth leader at our church growing up, and he you know the the young guys in his class all had you know video game systems and whatever else, and so um, they one of them gave my dad a hand me down PlayStation One you know, the original PlayStation. And so he gave it to me and my younger brother, who at the time, I think we were like six or seven. We were young, because um, I don't remember it very well. But he, he handed it down to us with a couple of games. And there was one game where you played, like, you played these as these cars, and you had to, like, kill each other with these cars. And it was kind of, like, not violent, but violence insinuated. Like, the car would catch on fire, and you'd hear people yelling. And uh, all of a sudden, one day, my mom saw me playing the game, and then it disappeared. So um, after that, but uh, so my first introduction was very young as a hand-me-down, and then throughout my teenage years, really up until the point where I got my own job and everything, everything that I got video game-wise was a hand-me-down. My parents never bought me mm. a brand new system. It was always like a GameCube five years out of date, you know, or <laughs> or something like that. So it was the PlayStation was my first introduction. And then a hand-me-down GameCube, and then a hand-me-down Xbox 360, and then we broke that one and got another hand-me-down. And then finally, I think Brandon and I purchased our own Xbox One, like, in 2012 <laughs> or something like that. Nice. So, yeah, so we were, we were a hand-me-down video game uh, uh, for a long time just because we were broke. So, um, so, yeah, how about you, Josh? I, I was introduced at a very young age. My parents got us a Nintendo 64 when I was three, maybe even two. My very first game, and I have some memories of it, very vague, was um, Sesame Street 1, 2, 3. Nice. And then they also got Sesame Street ABC later. Uh, but those are like what I played. I was not good at them at all. Uh, but... I didn't play a whole lot. I watched a lot of my older brother, Sean, play the N64, playing games like Mario 64. I remember him playing GoldenEye. Um, our neighbor had Super Smash Bros. that Sean would borrow every now and then, but he kept that on the down low because my parents didn't like Pokemon. Um, there's, <laughs> same, There's same. Pikachu in there. Yeah, so like he, he tried to keep it kind of low-key, but I do remember watching him play that. Um and so I was always slightly interested. We kept the N64 going into when I was five, six, seven, and I ended up actually breaking it on accident. I dropped the TV on it. I was oh, trying to get man. the cord from underneath the TV. Double uh, whammy. To, yeah, to move it. The TV actually was fine. It was one of those big, fat <laughs> oh, CRT. I don't know if it's CRT, but like it was yep. one of the yep. old TVs that has like the big back and everything before flat screens. Yeah. And that thing just smashed on top of the N64, and it wouldn't work after that. At that point, think? I had played Mario 64 and Donkey Kong 64, but hadn't gotten super far. But, like, those are the first couple of games that I, like, have memories of. Then we got a PS2. My brother and I would pretty much just play, like, Lego games on that. I got into Ratchet & Clank, but 
didn't really like explore a whole lot outside of that. My my love for the gaming industry really came to fruition during the DS and the Wii era. Ah. I had a Game Boy, and so that was like I I played that all the time before this and I was introduced to Metroid and Mario 2D games that way. Uh, but it was when the Wii was coming out and I was seeing ads for it and I remember one of my friends got it. It was like the first year it came out and one of my friends got it and was like talking all about it and singing its praises and I was like, oh my goodness, that sounds like a ton of fun. And then it was 2007, Mario Galaxy came out and I was seeing these ads and it was like striking, like bringing up all these memories of Mario 64 in my head and i was like i need this game like i need this thing and so i spent days every single so like it was i remember it was the summer i think of 2007 and every single day during the summer i would call up gamestop at like six different locations i like looked up all the different addresses near me and i call them and ask if they had a wii but it was like this infamous shortage of the console at the time Mm -hmm. and for two weeks i wasn't able to find one and then one day i called up and this GameStop was like you know we just had one dropped off for trade-in if you make it here in time you might be able to get it and so i like begged my mom we ran out and grabbed it and i came back with this wii that was kind of beat up to be honest it wasn't in the best condition and i was just like enthralled all i had for it was wii sports and so i just like played bowling for a while and was like obsessed but like that was what (laughs) That was what broke me into the industry. Um, I ended up getting Mario Galaxy. That was my first game on the Wii. And, like, that's where I consider, like, my love of video games to really kick off. And it's it's all been downhill <laughs> since then. Yeah, yeah. But that was my... I, I was introduced at a young age, but it really didn't catch on. Like, I would play games when I was younger, but it was it was kind of just, you know, just something to do. It didn't really catch on until the Wii came out. And ever since then, I've been a hardcore Nintendo fanboy. Um Though I do have a, a PlayStation as well. But any other things you want to add to that, Jared, before we move on? No, I've always been addicted to video games. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, yeah. I, I, addicted and that's just my personality, really. I get addicted to things really easily. But, um, but what yeah, was your no, peak I, I, addiction? Peak? Skyrim. Skyrim. Yeah. Between, <laughs> okay. between its release and, you know, sophomore year of college, when I think I stopped playing it finally. I had played over 2,300 hours of that, of that game. So yeah, I, I, I mastered that game. Um, and so that's when my addiction reached. Like, I, I kid you not, I didn't sleep. It just was like, <laughs> I would go to work, come home, Skyrim. Go to work, come <laughs> home, Skyrim. Hours and hours and hours. And the lore, too. Like, I actually, like, you know how you can read books in that game? Like, I yeah. actually read those books. <laughs> like, I actually <laughs> spent the time to flip through the pages virtually and read books. Uh, yeah. Are they yeah, well written? So. Yeah, they're well written. They're just short. You know, it's like five or six pages. But yeah, oh, I, okay. Yeah, but yeah, it's uh, crazy stuff. I actually know the lore and and everything like that. So anyway, man, that's some dedication right there. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, let's go ahead and move on to, of course, our primary segment here, the pick of the week. And this week we are discussing Hades. <laughs> Hades. 
Hades is a roguelike from the developers of Bastion and Transistor. Came out last year in 2020 and really caught the gaming world by storm. Thanks to its gameplay, thanks to its story, thanks to the fine-tuning of its mechanics. And we are here to discuss it today. A fantastic, fantastic game. You know, Jared, 10 out of 10. Let's just put it into the Hall Games right now. Let's just go for it. What do you say? <laughs> no, I'm Actually, I'm absolutely, I'm absolutely for that. Spoiler alert, it goes into the Hall of Games because I'm not letting <laughs> okay. Josh not put it in there. Guys, okay. this game, so this game was released early access, and then wouldn't you know it, the developers actually listened, I know, listened to the feedback that they got from early access players and improved their product. They said about 80% of the changes that they made post early access came from users. Um, so it was, you know, it was a solid product and then they changed it. Uh, it's a game that is made with a lot of love from Supergiant Studios and uh, it's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Fantastic game. Really, I, I can't think of a flaw. I really can't. You know, I can um, think of maybe possible, like, story changes that might make the game more intense or more fun, but those aren't flaws. Those are just like, oh, it would have been cool if, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm absolutely with you. There is no flaw. They set out to try to accomplish a, a certain style of gameplay, a certain uh, balance, and they achieved all of it. There are... Um, so I have YouTubed a lot as far as, you know, what do YouTubers say... You know, how do you play this game? What's the best way to do it? And unlike Xenoblade Chronicles, which, you know, the the combat system has a couple of characters and a couple of abilities that are just absolutely counterproductive, right? And so those are (laughs) flaws. Those are actual flaws. This game, no one can seem to agree on which is the best way to play the game because Mm -hmm. they're all possible. If you know what you're doing, you can create a loadout that's unstoppable, um, yeah. So, and we'll talk more about the mechanics later. But those aren't flaws; those are just preferences. And, and this game is so perfectly balanced that you can you play for hours and hours and hours and hours, play through your play style like four or five ma- different major ways, and still not come to a conclusion on which is the best. It's so well balanced. It takes uh, its inspiration from uh, Dota, which I actually, Josh, do you know what Dota is? Yeah. Yeah, it takes its inspiration from that. I don't know if you could quickly explain what that game is, because I actually don't know. I just heard them say that, but I don't know what what that game is. It's an MMO. Um, Dota is a strategy game that a lot of people play on PC. Very, very in-depth. There's like all kinds of characters that you can pick from, um, all kinds of different strategies. It's a very high competitive game. There's actually an anime that just is releasing this week, I think, on Netflix. Is that right? On on Dota. Perfect timing. Yeah. So, so I heard the developers say that they were they took inspiration from Dota, uh, and so the mechanics, the art style, everything, th- this game, uh, not, sorry, excuse me, I, that wasn't clear. The mechanics and the gameplay are inspired by Dota, and they're technically very accurate and very tightly wound. It's like mm-hmm. a German engine. It's just very, it runs really well. And then uh, the art style, of course, is critically acclaimed. Josh, you know, I, I could go on and on. My favorite part of this game um, was de- is definitely, I, I guess I want to say, like, the mood, the vibe, the whole, mm. com- the whole the complete package, the way that it makes me feel and think and keep thinking about the game even when I'm not playing it. Like, it's a whole mood, and it's just such a cohesive it is. package. 
what what is your favorite favorite part my favorite part of this game has got to be the characters um yeah. all those story are not story uh combat is like right there um because it just says feels so good to play but i'd say just getting to know the characters getting to know the different bits and pieces of each of these different gods uh, actually the gods themselves are kind of the, the least valuable as i mean as far as story is concerned characters because most as far as the gods of olympus are concerned anyway because most of them have pretty brief uh dialogue um conversations with you whereas a lot of the people who are in hades um the servants um i i think of uh thanatos the um the incarnation of death i think of um nyx the incarnation of night achilles um hades himself all of these different characters who really don't ever take a huge spotlight i mean i guess I guess I couldn't say that about Achilles, but most of them don't take a, a huge spotlight in Greek myth, but here they they have their time to shine and just getting to know them. Every time you get back to the house of Hades and just walking through and talking to them was like almost more enticing to me than the actual gameplay of combat and diving into the different realms of Hades itself. Um, so really so think- love that aspect of it. Yeah. So Josh, here's what I'm going to interject. I told you this yesterday when we when I called you briefly, but like I have a massive apology to tell you. Um, oh yeah. I'm I'm curious what this is. So my massive apology for Josh um, is from our game of the year podcast. If I had played Hades at the time, this would have been my game of the year pick, and we oh, might man. have been unified enough to say that this should have been the game of the year for 2020. Um, yeah. Because it is such a game, it has made me fall in love with it. I picked Phoenix, but I like this game better than I liked Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that game, you know, we hyped it up and everything. We talked about it, and it's, it's Phoenix is a great game. Um, and so this game is even better. And I, I don't know that. So we gave, you know, just to recap, you know, briefly, we gave the game of the year. Well, I'm not going to tell our listeners. We gave it to a very deserving game. Uh, sure. Go back and listen to that that podcast to find out which we we gave the game of the year to. But but this game, I think, might have been my personal... No, no, it definitely would have been my personal pick. So I owe you a massive apology because you kept hyping Hades and I didn't listen to you at first. Uh, and I really regret not getting into this game sooner because as soon as I did, I absolutely fell in love with it. This is a game that I feel like this developer... Supergiant is the developer. That's the name of the, um, the group that, that made this game. I feel like they were made like they their whole purpose in life was <laughs> to develop Hades. Yes. And they achieved it. And that happens yeah. few mo- like there are a few moments I can think of in you know the gaming industry's history that that has been the case. My mind immediately thinks of Naughty Dog. I think when Uncharted 2 came out, it was like okay, this is what the developer was meant to do. Not yeah. Jack, not Crash Bandicoot. <clears throat> And even not the original Uncharted, but like Uncharted 2 with its cinematics and everything was like, okay, they were meant to build this kind of game. And Hades is the same exact feeling here where they made Bastion, they made Transistor, and both of them, if you go back and play them, they have DNA that you can very clearly see in Hades as well. But they don't have that roguelike element, they don't have all the intense lore behind it. I mean, they have they have some in-depth stories, but not at the same level. And with Hades coming out, it's just like... This is what these guys were meant to do. This is it. Like, 
and you and, and they they honed it to perfection. I don't think yeah. you can really, like I said, do anything to improve this game. And it's just it's a it's a fantastic experience and one that I highly highly recommend. And you're right, I I I do wish that I had maybe gone to bat a little bit more for it during the Game of the Year awards. Though I do think our pick was well deserving at the same time. Um, going into it, Jared. What well, I guess is, let's just jump into it with gameplay. What did you think of the actual the combat the 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 second by second the minute by minute? How did that play out? What did you what did you like about it? What did you dislike? Were there things that took some time to get used to, so on and so forth? Uh, how did how how did you think the Hades of the gameplay of Hades played out? So there's um so the gameplay is very much like uh, Moonlighter. So we did a podcast on a game called Moonlighter. Uh, Moonlighter, wonderful indie game. Go listen to that podcast because you might fall in love with that game. Uh, and it's similar. So I had already had just a tiny bit of exposure to this whole. Go through the dungeon, die, repeat. Go through the dungeon, die, repeat. And as you collect different things, you can slowly level yourself up so you get better, so you go further in the dungeon until finally you bring the story to its close because you have mastered the game at that point. So the gameplay, uh, you you start the game dropping out of your, your bedchamber's window. You're running away from home, essentially, and you're, you're this moody teenager Zagreus who... Uh, <laughs> actually, I don't, I don't know that he's a teenager. It doesn't really matter, but... Um, he's running away from his dad, who's the lord of the underworld, Hades. And he has to go through by casting a special um, a special we- uh, weapon, which is like a long distance. He's got an attack. He's got a dash attack. He's got uh, his dash, obviously. He's got a, um, uh, what's the word, a special attack. And he has to use these all in combination to battle through uh, about, I want to say it's like 25 different types of foes throughout the whole game. And it's not that many, but like 25 different foes or so and battle through these different levels. He is not allowed to just heal on command. He doesn't just regenerate. You have uh, Mm. a limited amount of health and you uh, have to find health throughout the game. You have to. So once you die, you die. You return home. Your dad laughs at you because you didn't. You died. (laughs) You didn't make it all the way through and you start again. And the gameplay, that loop. We mentioned this about Moonlighter. You you go through the dungeons, you collect stuff, you sell it at your shop, you go through the dungeons. This game is all about why he's doing this. And yeah. so you you know, you come out of the pool of sticks, as it's called, because you died, and all of the mortals who die come through that pool, they meet Lord Hades, and then they get sent to the whatever version of the underworld they go live in. Um, underworld being, I think I guess in Greek myth, both heaven and hell, I think. It is. Maybe not. Yep. Yeah, no, yeah, it is. It's a place for all of them. Like the, the, the incredible warrior Achilles is in the underworld. And so there's different tiers. Like Elysium is the, the, the layer of the underworld that's for the, the warriors and such. So, so you're battling through these different uh, plays and you start at the lowest level, Tartarus. You battle through, you get to Asphodel. Then you battle through again, you get to Elysium. You battle through, you get to the next level. So there, you know, the, the loop just becomes second nature and it's so easy to do. You come right out into the, the House of Hades, and like Josh said, because the characters are so compelling, you do the rounds, you build the connections, you're trying to gain hearts for each of the characters, and then you go out again, and you, you strike off. And it's it's absolutely tremendous. You can go through a run, uh, you can get to the boss and beat him in, and I'm, I'm not an expert, uh, uh, I've, I've beat the boss three times now, um, and you, you keep doing that to keep keep on doing the story but i'm not an expert but uh i just had my best time 
it was like 33 minutes. Um, so, which isn't, you know, which isn't insane. There's speed runners who can do it in 25 or less. So it's not like I'm anything special, but it's going to take about a half hour to 45 minutes to do a good run through and, and all that different stuff. So it's just solid. It's in depth. It's, it's dense and there's, it's an addictive, addictive loop for sure. Yes, absolutely. That's a great way of, uh, explaining it all. Fantastic loop going through Hades, trying to escape and, Really, the the impetus is the development of the story, which is surprising coming from a game like this. Like, going into it, I don't know if I expected that. And it does become, a, a, like, the the motivation becomes, I need to get out of here, but not just to get out of here, but to find my, my mother, which is, like, his whole yep. primary thing. And it doesn't start that way, actually. Like, at first, it does start with him just kind of having a chip on his shoulder and wanting to defy his dad. But later it becomes this whole quest of, like, I want to find who my mother truly is. And that develops over time. I think the most impressive part of this game is the exhaustive amount of dialogue and story and characters that are in this game. You, I I was just trying to look up where that ends. And I can't find a definitive answer of, like, where you begin to no longer see original dialogue. Because every time, every single run that you go back to the House of Hades and then go back out, every single time you interact with a boon to talk to a god, every single time that you um, talk to Nyx or talk to Skelly or Skelly, I don't know what his actual name is, but the little dude that you can smash before you go yep. out. <laughs> Skelly, um, yeah. Like, they, every time you talk to them, there is new dialogue there is new information that is being presented. There is a development of that character, of that small story within the story itself. And that is so impressive to me. Um, I, I mean, there has to be an end to it, right? You'd think. Yeah, you'd like, think. And yet, Josh where, is exactly right. Where did they right. stop writing? <laughs> you, won't, you won't hear two pieces of dialogue that are the same. Um, no. they, I mean, they, they're all uh, original. They're all... Um, you know, brilliantly done. They're all so. So, Josh. T- so, we're we're on the topic of gameplay here, and uh, you know, we'll get more to story in a second. But I'm just curious. I have to ask you, like, tell me your preferred way to play through this game. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the the mirror of sticks as as to how you permanently level up, and then tell us about the weapon system, which are two crucial aspects of the gameplay. Absolutely. Well, the weapons, the boons are are vital to how you run through. So you got each of the different sections and you can kind of pace yourself based on what area of Hades you're in. Like in, in Tartarus, which is like the depths, the, the lowest of the low scum are there. Um, it's really easy with any weapon to, to, to blast through. But once you start to get to Asphodel and particularly, um, Elysium, there are people with range. There's a lot of archers in Elysium, there are the like the charging chariots and stuff, and so you, you need to have a little bit more tactics, and each weapon changes how those tactics work out. I think there are six weapons, if I'm not yes. mistaken. Yeah, there are six, yep. Um, a spear, there's like gloves, like punching um punching gloves, I don't know I don't know what to, what else to call them. Uh a sword, a classic sword, um, a bow and arrow, what what it's actually a gun as well. And what am I missing for the last? They don't call one? it a gun; they call it a rail, which is odd. Like I don't know if that's 
because guns it's, weren't invented in ancient Greece, but they call right. it a rail. Yeah, the adamant it's a gun, rail though. is what it's called. Yeah, <laughs> it is a gun. Yes, Josh is right. <laughs> I'm just saying, like the fact that they don't call it that is interesting. But and then oh, the last the one you're missing the shield. That's right. Yeah. Yes, which was one of my favorites. I lo- I really was surprised at how much the shield, I, how much I enjoyed it. Like you feel like Captain America. Yeah. throughout that particular run through because you're like tossing it around and it's bouncing back to you and whatnot but so josh give me um, like let's so for our listeners give me an ideal run through start you just came out of the the, the yeah. pool of sticks and uh, so what's the first thing you do let's assume you're somewhere in the middle of the story um right what tell us how you what's your typical loop look like well i i was i was going to make the point of weapon doesn't really like there's not a preferred weapon for me. Okay, gotcha. And that's gotcha. such an impressive part of this game is that each of them are in depth. Each of them have their own drawbacks, but also their own advantages. Um, and with I can't remember what the god's name. It's like the hammer that boon. Didalus, where you can yeah. go in. Um, yeah, they that is a key one. I always try and go for that if I see that as an option because that'll improve whatever weapon it is and give it an extra ability. Like with the the spear, if you go and get that particular boon, then you'll improve and maybe get a, a chance to create a triple strike. So every time that you slash, it actually makes three separate slashes in an area of attack effect. Um, the only time that I beat the game is with the spear, so I think I know that one the best. Um, but when getting into it, these are this is the direction I would, I would try to go for. I would always try to get um Athena Athena was a boom boon that I would go for I, I'd always go for the boons so if there was an option between boon and treasure or boon and um you know going to the shop I would try to get a boon because that would improve my gameplay um, and I'd look for Athena I'd look for Hermes I'd look for Ares and Dionysus, Dionysus, I think I might be pronouncing that wrong, um, were like my go-tos for that. And then, of course, the hammer as well to improve my weapon. Hermes, I think, just gives you enough uh, movement options to keep you uh, versatile, to keep you, uh, especially when you get to like the, the third boss fight, I think being able to move quickly is incredibly important. Yeah. Um, and, and certainly with Hades as well. And so, like, I, I'll try to get for Hermes. I love, I love Athena's deflection, especially with the dash. Yep. That was, like, vital to me. Like, if I didn't get that, I wasn't going to have a valuable run. <laughs> From what I understand, the speedrunning community, like, they're they're always going to equip Athena's divine dash. Like, that's going to be the yeah. first thing they go for because it's such it's so crucial to... Uh, especially Asphodel and Elysium um, getting past those projectile level areas that can be really difficult, especially the Witch's Coven and Asphodel. So you're exactly right. Uh, It's funny that you say that because, so I did a little bit of deep diving uh, or a little bit of research on what the preferred playstyle was of speedrunners, of what everyone's favorite weapon was. And it it turns out that the, it, it took, so to beat the game, to finally beat the final boss and get out of the underworld, which is Zagreus's whole goal it takes roughly 34 tries was the average. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm ashamed to admit it took me like 48, I think. <laughs> I think but it part took of that, me 42 or 43 yeah, or something. But part of that in my defense is that I'm also focused on collecting. So I actually wasn't looking at specializing in beating getting out because I sensed that this game had more longevity than I anticipated. Um, mm-hmm. And so I would just go for things that I didn't have. So anytime I saw a list of options to be given as far as like, leveling up or weapon enhancements or whatever, I would go for 
So there's this there's this thing called the the faded minor prophecies, which are essentially yeah. how you make you get rewards for collectibles in the game, and they want you to collect different experiences. So they want you to collect different ways of using your weapons. So I wouldn't actually stick with a tried and true method every time I tried to leave. I would vary my experiences. So um, right, because it would push you to try something new. Yep. So the people yeah. I think I, I'm guessing it's my hypothesis and my excuse. The people that got out in you know under 35 tries were people that knew what they were good at and just did that until they got out. They were streamlining the whole time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. With me, I would just take whatever I hadn't already done. So I have a good bit of the game completed at this point. Um, it's, but it's take, you know, I don't often get all the way to the end because I'm trying to get the next legendary boon or, um, you know, so there's, so, so let's go through, so you come out of the pool of sticks because you just died. And you make the rounds. You talk to all your friends in the House of Hades. You know, Nyx and Achilles and whatever else. Thanatos, is, if, he's, if he's there. Megara, if she's there. Uh, sometimes Dad has an option to talk to him. And then you go into your room. You go to the Mirror of Nyx, which is what your mom gave to you for, for you to permanently level up. You make some adjustments. Mm-hmm. Maybe I want to use this power-up or this advantage. Um, so there's an advantage. Like, say, for instance, there's an advantage. The more boons you have, you do point... It's like 2.5% more damage each boon you have. So if you right. have, by the end of the game, 16 boons, you know, that's a whole whopping, you know, 40, 40% or something like that. So that's a big deal. You know, at the end of the game, it stacks. So, so you're trying to you do that. Then you go out onto the balcony. You select your weapon. Um, the game rotates through. You get bonus, um, uh, like... Darkness, you get bonus Darkness. Yeah, it's darkness. Yeah, you're right. You get bonus darkness based on the weapon that you choose. If they have one that's like, oh, this will get you more darkness in your run through, you know, sometimes you choose that one. And then um, you choose a collectible, which is a special gift given to you by people you've um, become friends with. And then you head on out. And there's some stipulations later on in the game you can add difficulty to your run through, like, you know, uh, places, you know, uh, baddies do 20% more damage or something like that. And then you increase the difficulty so that you get more rewards and then etc so you go out on your run and so what josh is talking about with the boons um that whole system is you get either a weapon enhancement or the gods will drop a message a one-way message down to you and you pick up their boon which is their blessing you know the the Mm -hmm. blessings of the gods is always a big thing in greek mythology and so you pick up a boon which will have a power up for either your movement speed like hermes does a lot of movement speed and your attack is faster or your movement's faster or whatever else because he's the messenger of the gods, right? He plays a little differently than the rest of the gods, but some of them have damage over time. Yeah, some of them have, like Zeus's lightning bolt. You smack someone, they also get a lightning bolt damage. So I I forgot to mention Zeus. He's definitely one I'd go for as well. So Josh, you know, mentioned earlier, Athena is super popular. The shield is super popular. That's actually, I think every player's, the average favorite choice is the shield. Which makes sense because if you if you brace with it, you actually don't even take any any damage in a certain direction. So I can understand right. why. Uh, plus, it's got a good long range component. But anyway, what was your you favorite? The spear for sure. Okay. Yeah. So my yeah, my too. preferred gameplay loop, I would go into the the balcony and grab the spear. And you know, for me, it was because the the sweep was also like a really good clearing advantage for me for group damage and then the spears distance i was able to keep my distance with characters that 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 made that was appealing to me because you could keep them at bay without them getting hit on you and the spear was so quick that there was no chance for them to to smack you so if you got 
the spear could also hit multiple foes at once really well because it had such a long reach. It just came as a natural fit. Um, I don't know. It's funny, too, because Moonlighter, the spear, was my favorite, too. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess the history repeats itself. So I'd play the spear. I will say, and, though, I, I, I surprisingly really enjoyed the gloves. Me too, yeah. Like, I was very surprised. Because the first time I played the, with those, I was like, I don't like these at all. But the more I kind of got used to them, I was like, man, you can really bash people up with those. So yeah. just a uh, quick shout out to that. Sorry. Go no, ahead you're good. You no, so 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 that's that's the gameplay loop. And uh, so, Josh, uh, if you have some more to add, go ahead. But I, I felt like the game did a really good job. Like, you already mentioned this, but I'll, I'll echo it, that they they – they really incentivize you to vary how you play the game. You don't yes. want to just play with just the sword the whole way through. Um, as opposed to like the other roguelike we've played, Moonlighter, once you find your weapon, you kind of stick with that. Like That's it. So so this game has it really incentivizes you to, to vary how you run through. You do a run through. So, uh, right. Yeah. And unlike Moonlighter, like Moonlighter, I think a kind of an issue with it was that it's incentivized sticking to one weapon because you could upgrade them. Yeah, um, and you yeah. can kind of upgrade these weapons. Like you'll get you'll get like different. Um, I can't think of what the term is, but like you can basically aspects. change their yeah. attribute. Yeah, their aspects um, yeah. in different ways. But really, each of them are as valuable as the other. Yeah, it's so, a change. It's not an upgrade. Yeah. Right. So yeah. it does incentivize, like you said, the trying in different ways. Um, what did you think? Just talking about boons, talking about the gameplay here. What did you think of uh, the chaos boon? Was that something you'd go for? Yeah, typically because I just I happen to notice like so the game has a couple ways of doing things. It it will um, if you get a boon, it'll say your cast for instance does twenty percent more damage, and then you can get later on you can get a level up that changes that up. It's like okay now it does twenty three percent damage. You know it's incremental, um, but with the chaos boons, chaos is an underworld figure that has its own dimension. So chaos being the 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 uh, what's the word? It's like incarnate for? chaos. Yeah, the progenitor of everything in the game. So the the yeah. chaos is the parent of the whole universe, essentially. Mm-hmm. All of the, all of these characters, the titans and the gods. So um, so chaos boons. I just noticed that like you for the next three or four encounters, which are chambers that you can go into, um, the next three or four encounters, your you will take this much damage if you use this type of weapon or something like that. And, and then afterwards, it'll give you a big boost. Like, after you clear the Curse of Chaos, it becomes a boon. And I just noticed that the percentages for the Chaos boons were always higher. So I would take a Chaos boon very early on. Like, it would it would take 21 damage or so to get into it in Tartarus. And then it's like, for the next three encounters, you move 30% slower. But after that, your attack is 63% stronger. As opposed to just a pure, like, Aphrodite boon... Um, which is your attack does 10% more damage and makes foes weak or something like that. So if you if you get a chaos boon early, it really pays off in Tartarus where it's super easy. But I mm-hmm. I found myself not taking chaos boons in Elysium or Asphodel as much, not nearly that's, as much. That's funny that you mentioned that because that was literally like the you know the system that I used. I was like, if I can get it in Tartarus, yes, I will take a chaos boon, but otherwise it's not worth it. Yeah, because um, it it does play out over time and so you need to it's like an investment and at first it draws back and then it later comes back in as a um advantage but it takes that time in the mean in the the meantime so it's it's a 
it's a risk reward system, which I think is is cool. Very different from all the other boons. Um, and yeah, you, you just kind of have to measure that, see if it's going to be valuable. Um, so Josh, as far as in the sorry, topic of ga- in the topic of gameplay, if you had to bet a hundred dollars that you were going to beat um, the final boss on <laughs> any given run through, how would you set up your loadout? My whole loadout would be based on the Theseus and um, the Minotaur fight because okay. that was that was my weakness. I don't okay. know if that was something you had an easy time with, but my incentive would be based on that because that was where I failed 99% of the time of all my run-throughs. I had a really hard time getting used to that double boss fight. Um, and it turned out that keeping... Theseus at a distance and then fighting the Minotaur, taking him out first was the key to it. But the Minotaur tries to get in close. And so that's where the, the spear kind of came in handy. Um, so yeah, if, if I wanted to get through, I'd focus on that. I'd focus on the other boons that I mentioned. That would kind of, that would kind of be my goal. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know if I have anything to add to that necessarily. Then no, I that's fine. Before. I was just, I was just curious. I, so um, that once you get through, the game there the you give people this this kind of a currency down there it's a treat it's called nectar uh which is a distillation of like ambrosia which is famous Mm -hmm. in greek literature and also something that appeared in phoenix too it's been funny to see the parallels in the greek stuff between the two games um so you give nectar to these characters and then they give you like a kind of a keepsake which gives you like a small small power up or a different you know play style or something like that um, some of them are like really big and outsized. Like one of them gives you an extra life, which is a game changer. Um, oh yeah. So, Who yeah, is like that? The, Skelly, Lucky Tooth. It's oh, the guy. Okay. You, yeah. He gives you Lucky Tooth and it, it gives you another chance to live, which is, it's again, it's a game changer because, oh, yeah. you know, by the time you die in a room, typically you have a handle on what's going on for the most part. So it's, it's an absolute game changer. Um, Josh, did you like using stubborn defiance or, or, uh, Death defiance. Death, death defiance. Hundred yeah. percent. I didn't like. I didn't die in every chamber, you know, which yeah. is what stubborn defiance is based off of. Is every chamber you get a chance to come back, but it only does what is it like fifteen percent of your health? Yep. Back or something like that. But death defiance. You have one at the start of the game, and like you said, you get you can get more um, death defiances, and whenever you hit zero, it'll give you fifty percent of your health back, and then you're good to go up until of course you you die again but i like when i finally beat hades i had two i think you can get three death defiances you can you can get three yep which Um, is incredibly valuable so Um, i have but yeah totally the lucky tooth which gives you four so um, okay okay yeah so i i have a hypothesis that as soon as i start so you you once you beat uh hades the first time um you get the pact of punishment which gives mm-hmm. you an option to make your run through harder for more rewards. So, right. which are the currency of how you level up your big weapons and different things like that, and how you pay for uh, and, uh, better, I guess, more hospitable run throughs in the future. So, you know, greater rewards and stuff like that, and, and ambrosia to give to close friends for when you get to that point. So, yes. um, one of the, I have a hypothesis that I will actually prefer stubborn defiance when i get to the point where i'm throwing on like five or different five or ten different difficulties in the pact of punishment 
because Certainly. I'm going to be dying so often. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, so, no, that makes sense. So I have a feeling I'm going to transition to st- uh, stubborn defiance as opposed to death defiance, just the raw number of lives that you have. So I wonder if if that'll be the case. I'm not sure yet, but so okay. So I was curious. So let's let's transition a little bit here. We could do- you know talk for hours about the technical details of this game. Yeah, <laughs> um, tell me a little bit about the so the story is. Zagreus is trying to leave home. He's sick of the place. Mm-hmm. That's essentially it. Like, that's all his motivation is for leaving after that. He's like, I've decided to leave. That's all I need. And then he finds out, things get a little complicated. He finds out that the woman who raised him is not his mom. Right. And then he finds out that his mom left him after he was born. But then he finds out that his mom thought he was dead. But then he finds out his dad thought he was dead. And he was revived later. <laughs> so this, the game, the story itself just keeps unwrapping and the, right. in the meantime all of these different characters that you're talking with you're deepening your relationship with these characters either by giving them nectar or by talk having conversations with them again all of the conversations are i don't even want to use the word but i think it's apt and it's kind of weird but it's like the best version of realistic does that make sense like each oh, of the yeah. dialogue is so deep and so personal and yet it's like you just relate to each of these characters. They all have really good motivations for doing what they're doing. It's incredible that this creative team was able to develop that. And uh, it's actually voiced, Zagreus, the main guy, is voiced by uh, one of their, he did all of the voice yeah. supervision or whatever, and he also voices the main character. And he does a tremendous job. He's so good at it. Um, yeah, all the got, voice acting is great. It's incredible. So as far as characters go and the story, um, tell me what you thought about the story and then tell me who are some of your favorite characters and why. Um, the story is, is well, not the story, but the characters are horny. I just want to say that. <laughs> they are. Like, the art style is, like, this game is the horniest super giant game out of all the games. Like, each character is super sexy and has its own aspects of like of him or her that like is attractive and so i like that part of it. it's like each, in that way they're interesting but then they're also interesting in in other ways as well obviously but i loved this story the way that it kept to growing the way that it kept developing um which was again a surprise to me you don't expect that from a roguelike yep at all but every time you go back new dialogue new ways of interpreting this character Hades especially I think personally he has the best arc over the entire game now I haven't truth be told I haven't actually beat the final time that you can really see the true ending of the game you have to beat the final boss 10 times to see the final ending and so like that's the that's the threshold if you really want to see 100% of this game so I haven't actually done that personally but I I looked it up because I was really curious um, and because I know I'm never going to do that myself that like Hades his development over the whole thing is impressive yeah like for for what's really an indie developer like this developer is not a big studio but yeah. they're they're pulling off some impressive stuff here and you have this guy who at the start of the game is opposed to Zagreus's attempts to move to leave Hades he's not stopping him per se but he is, you know, trying to inhibit him in minor ways. And um, really, it turns out, it, it seems like he's doing it because you just have, like, this, 
you know, father-son rivalry, but it turns yep. out he's doing it for your own good. Yeah. And you pick up on that even in the first time that you that you get the, beat the game, quote-unquote, uh, past the final boss. And so, like, he, he's doing it for the right intentions. By the end of the game, he's kind of given in and allowed you to do what you want. And it, and yep. it ends on a really sweet note. And, yeah. like, his development over the game, like, he turns it, like, he at the start of the game, he is, like, bad dad. Like he is, yeah. Jerk. He's enemy number one at the beginning of the game. Exactly. But but, but what but Josh what? is talking about is exactly right. By the end of it, I mean, you understand this character, and you 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 know you sympathize with him. And that's just one person. Like each and every yep. character in the game grows. Yep. You get to know on a deeper level. Nick's um, Achilles, especially, who is like your mentor of sorts. Um, Thanatos. There's like some hot gay vibes between Zagreus and Thanatos throughout the game, which <laughs> like, of course is not appealing personally to me, but like I can appreciate right from an objective standard. Um, and then like the, the, the actual gods of Olympus through the, um, um, what was that called? The, the boons, the, not the, yeah, the boons, but like the, the stuff that you can give them for some reason, the name is escaping me. Um, the nectar, the nectar. What's the name of it though? It's uh, called nectar. It's just called nectar. Yeah, you. So you can give. So the leveling up of your relationship, you can give nectar to someone until you become good friends with them, and then you can give them ambrosia. Oh, ambrosia was the word I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, like they they develop lightly. I would say like not as much as say Hades. Um, or some of the other people in the House of Hades, but like even then, you're you're incentivized to like talk to these people over and over, which pushed me to pick up boons that I rather like, otherwise wouldn't have. Yeah, like um, uh, Aphrodite's boon is terrible. I do not like Aphrodite. Like any of the potential options getting her boon, I did not like. I don't know if you enjoyed her at all. She's um, good. She's good in a duo sense. Like a lot of her duo boons stack really nicely. Okay. Um, yes, I. I do agree yeah. with that. But otherwise, but, uh, like, but just no, that straight weakness yeah, I do, mechanic. I try to avoid her. I'll take almost anyone instead of her. Yeah, like, the last run I did last night, I was miserable because, like, three of the six boons that I was getting were um, Aphrodite. And I was like, stop giving me Aphrodite. She's the worst of the gods. But, like, outside of the the combat improvements, like, you get these improvements in story and character that incentivize you to t- continue to talk to these people. Yep. And it's not just gods. Like, it's not just the boons. There are, like, people within Hades that you can talk to. Um, the man whose name is escaping me, who's attached to the boulder. Um, Sisyphus. Yes. Uh, Megara, who's the main, the first boss, and then it turns out all of the Furies are actually the first boss, which I thought was a really cool twist and very yep. surprising. Um out of the bosses, I will say the, um, the second boss, the Hydra, was the most boring. Um, I was disappointed that they don't mix that up more, especially sure. you know up until that first run through than they did. Sure, um, yeah. And there's no connection with that boss like there is with the other three. Um, so, but that is what it is. But yeah, like the the way that they just keep developing, like over, like you don't expect them to. You don't necessarily even like want them to necessarily like you're not like 
oh, I feel disappointed that they didn't continue to develop, but like they just build it in. There's so much dialogue and so many ways to continue to talk to these characters that like their own stories become value valuable. Um, the court jester, I think, is it Ophelia? Am it's I Orpheus. That wrong? Orpheus, yeah. Orpheus, like that whole connection with their lost love and trying to get them reconnected or like trying to get them to talk to each other. It's like its own incentive to try to push through Hades every single time. And that's just one of these gods, characters of Greek myth that you have throughout this entire game. And so, and on top of that, we didn't even mention Cerberus is a three headed dog, the hound of hell. And he's t- he's talked up as this big old meanie, and then he turns out to be a softie, and you can give him yeah. pets. Zagreus, you walk in, the, one of the first people you see is is, or one of the first things you see is the dog Cerberus lying on his mat. If you you know you can upgrade and get him a doggy bed. It's hilarious. It's the Hound of yeah. Hell, and you give him a plushie. But uh, you <laughs> you can dote on him and give him pets. But apparently, only one of his head like one of his heads likes pets. So each of these <laughs> characters is like super charming and yeah. original. And it's hard to pick a favorite because um, it really is. It, they're so you know they're rare, and not all of them are always there. Like sometimes you'll come up in the House of Hades, and there's not an option to talk to Achilles because he's out on watch mm-hmm. or something. And you're like you're bummed because you wanted to learn more about that story, um, right? And so, uh, Josh, let me ask you from a personality standpoint, which was your favorite god? Hmm. Um, probably Diet Dionysus, I yeah. think is how you say his name. <laughs> the god yeah. of wine. Can you do a Dionysus impersonation? Oh my god. No, no, I can't do that. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna Very do my seductive. best. It's probably gonna cringe, but like I'm gonna do my best. So Dionysus is the god of wine. <laughs> Yeah. Of all the things to be a god of, that's interesting. But anyway, you open up his boon, and he's just like, "Hey, Zag, man, how you doing? We're gonna get you out of there, and we're gonna hear something for you, man. How you doing? Like that's that's his <laughs> whole personality, and it's just so very funny the, the cadence that he talks at. And uh, each of the gods' personalities, although they're more shallow, they're very defined very well. So just mm-hmm. like Phoenix, Immortals Rising, they they captured the vibes of the gods really well. In this game, too, with the artwork, which we haven't talked about a ton, but like the artwork in this game is inc- it was nominated, it was critically acclaimed for an award, it's for amazing. a game award, yeah. and uh, it's each of the characters is drawn so well; they're all awesome looking, and um, and they just nail the vibes. Like Zeus is this kind of pompous, overconfident, you know, he's slight, he's different from Phoenix, but still the same vibes, you know, the thunderbolt throwing, you know god of olympus who carry you know takes himself too seriously um and then uncle uncle poseidon always with his stupid water puns you know oh my gosh poseidon (laughs) yeah but poseidon if you go hardcore poseidon boons all the way up a lot of his legendary stuff is excellent like i've i've found yeah if you're gonna have if you're gonna have an attack heavy um build up his call uh, like his call makes you impervious, and then if you combine it with the automatic recharge that you can get from either Hermes or Artemis, I think, makes it deadly. So like the second time hmm. that I beat um, the the final boss was using a combination of a bunch of Poseidon boons with the knockback extra damage and um, an, an Artemis and Hermes automatic recharge. I so there's a, a level up you can call on the gods and become. Each one has a specific one, like Demeter is the god of seasons, and so she has a chill factor going on. So you can call her Demeter's aid, and it'll create a swirling 
frozen vortex, which makes right. your enemies slower. Poseidon's makes you an impenetrable, like you run, you run super fast with like waves flowing behind you. And every time you knock into someone, it does like 350 damage. So yeah. I leveled that up to the point where it was like 450 or 550 or something like that. And then had an automatic recharge and no, no, here's what it was. It automatically recharged. I leveled that up. So it recharged really fast. And then I got the Artemis, uh, upgrade where your 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 god's call starts at 20%. So it never dropped below 20% and I got that thing. I mean Josh, I got, you know, call the god every 15 seconds. Nice. That's so like the breaking t- the game. Yep, so that's one of those things that you can do <laughs> if you specialize a little bit, you can break the game in a certain way. So it was dope. It was super. It was like call for Poseidon's aid and he helps me like probably 7 times in the final boss fight, which is a lot. Normally it's like a one chamber per time thing yeah. um but so anyway we got off a little off track there so josh to, so the graphics something yeah, about this on. game the graphics are just absolutely they're just sexy that's the word they, yeah yeah like i said a very horny game um yeah no the graphics are great it, it really just it's like the actual gameplay graphics when you're taking things out it's simple it's not trying to blow your mind per se, but it's got that vibe and each of the areas have their own vibe. Um, and each of the different enemies have their own distinct look. And so, you know, just by looking at them, what they're going to be, whether that's an archer in um, Elysium or it's those big yellow dudes in Tartarus who are going to try and slam you. Yep. Um, like, these are like demons and spirits, and so it, it looks great. All of the different gods, of course, when they pop up in their dialogue box, are are sexy AF. And then the the final like like sticks, I think, has a lot of really unique enemies and things in it. Um, and so like each area keeps changing enough to make it interesting and and fun. But it all works well, and it's not like mind blowing per se, but it's slick it's smooth and it works well with the story and and certainly with the combat um to keep things going um and to top off the graphics and the crazy characters and the whole the whole mood of the game you got a killer soundtrack um oh yeah the music in this game uh that was one of the first things i i noticed like you jump out of your bedroom window and it's just like dun and it's yes it's it's on from then on oh this is fighting music it's on let's do it so it's it's good stuff all you know everything that you're trying to accomplish is accompanied by excellent music um so it's what it needs to be and nothing less nothing more um so it's perfect in that way and surprisingly like the two so there's a character that you can bump into they're called um i i don't know like the you're given every time you leave, you you beat a chamber. Not every time, but most of the time, you're given two or three choices in which room you want to go into next. So you can customize your run through just a little bit. It's not all random. Um, and later on in the game, you can get an upgrade where you can actually like opt for a different random pick, and you can customize even further. But um, there's a, there's a character that you run into named Eurydice, and she is, I guess, like kind of like she looks like a Spriggan from Skyrim a little bit, like half yeah. nature, half human, and. Yeah. Um, can't remember the name, but she's in love with the muse Orpheus, who is stuck in the house of Hades making music. So you, your, their whole storyline, and when you get to meet them together out in the field and they're singing in harmony, like it's surprisingly awesome. They have this amazing little song and a duet 
that sounds beautiful. It actually blows my mind. It's like, man, I did not expect a level, the level of artistry from this game from Supergiant Studios, which is just a small group of dedicated individuals. And yeah, and who knows how many players even see that, you know? But it's, right. it's that level of dedication to actually delivering on what would be, you know, if this were to be a real thing in Greek myth, a beautiful song. Like, they go for it, and they don't they don't half booty cheek it to to pull back on the yeah the cursing. You're, you're um, exactly right. Yeah. The, so have you ever read? Um, so like I know like Karina does some drawing. You do some writing. I do some writing. Lucy does some drawing. Um, and you you have these kind of like half ideas for characters, and maybe yeah. maybe it's an idea that's not good enough to give it its an, its own video game. You know what I mean? Like it's not a phoenix. It's just this arc. It's like, oh, you know what? I thought of a cool storyline for like Achilles. What if what if this happens? Or yeah. I thought of um, the god of death as Thanatos. Um, it's actually kind of like a moody young person who has to adopt responsibility and instead while his other friends go off and play or something like that, right? Like this, all of these cool, unique character ideas are really well-written and thrown into this game. So like we were mentioning earlier, this game is like, a collection of excellent small but in-depth character arcs that are so appealing. Each one of them. I haven't yet found a character arc that I'm not interested in discovering completely. No, I I 100% agree. And that's that's part of the story that I think is just an amazing part of this game. For sure. Um, Jared, I did want to ask you what you thought of the, at least the initial ending um, of course, to finally, finally get the ending, you have to beat it ten times. But like that first time where you have, I, I feel like a bit of a twist as to at least the um, the nature of Zagreus and what yep. his life is. Yep. Um, what did you think of that and how that played out? So it's funny that you say that. Um, we so Xenoblade Chronicles, right? To play the game again, you have to have conflict. You have because, because like so we. Go back and listen to our Xenoblade Chronicles. You'll understand what I'm talking about. At the end of the game, the way you have to beat the game doesn't allow for you to just play through. Phoenix, same thing. Go listen to that podcast. Once you beat the final boss, you have to go back to the world, but there's baddies still in the world because you need something to do. Breath of the Wild, same thing. Every time you beat the boss, the game's like, well, it would be boring if there was no one to fight. You see what I'm saying? So the, the way that this game says, no, 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 you are going to want to do this gameplay loop over and over and over again and for good reason and you won't be mad about it the way it that they contextualizes t- it yep yep the way yeah. that they tie in and say no 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 you're doomed for all eternity to play this game in this style fighting your way all the way to the top etc and it makes sense and i actually was very satisfied because i was nervous i was like oh no I'm going to beat the game, but I haven't completed it. Oh, what does that mean? Like, am I going to have to, like, go back and pretend I didn't beat it? That doesn't happen. It's very, very satisfying when you think about it right. like that. So with Breath of the Wild, just to juxtapose a little bit, you beat uh, uh, Chaos Ganon or whatever it is. I can't remember. And then you have to pretend like you never beat him because you right. still have to have something to do. This game is it's not very like shallow. that. Yes. This game is not like that. You beat the ending, and then you beat it again, and then you beat it again. And each time is is uh, is awesome so uh, i mean that that was very appealing to me the fact that they justified their the the roguelike and they made its existence like the grind worthy of 
the 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 storyline and everything like that. It's just yeah. it's excellently done. So, um, did what what did you think? Oh man, it was tragic. Yeah, I like I I don't cry very often, but I I, I got misty eyes. Yeah, with this whole situation because and I'm gonna spoil it. So spoilers Go ahead. Go ahead. here. That's fine. If you want to jump Spoiler ahead, alert, you know, everyone, thirty seconds everyone, or, a minute or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Zagreus is doomed to remain in Hades. Basically, anyone who is born in that realm yep. must remain within that realm. And Hades himself has a similar curse where he so, has to remain. And that's why he's trying to stop you. Yes. He's trying to keep you from going out because he it's trying to stop you from revealing that that reality. Um, and then also the you know, the pain that comes with it because he's spending Zagreus is spending his whole life you know, or at least his adult life, trying to escape, only to recognize at the end that he cannot stay on the surface, on yeah. you know where where mortals are living, um, and he can't because he's just cursed to remain. Yeah. And it's in so Hades. interesting because the boons from the gods, at first, all of them, you know, they change a little bit, but they they vary in tone. But a lot of them, they'll say a variation along the lines of, "We can't wait till you get here." Yeah, and, and, and they're like Hades, spurning you on. Yep, Hades, Hades as the god, you know, Zeus and Poseidon and Hades and Demeter and some of the founding gods beat the Titans into submission, and and that's that's how Greek myth goes. Hades drew the short end of the stick and, and uh, adopted the underworld. With that came the stipulation that he cannot leave, and also. Yeah. You find out later he is limited in, in what type of life he can lead down there. It's kind of really awful. It sucks. It is. Um, it's and tragic. Hades, Hades is the middle-aged father we all know who can't express his feelings very well. So it just comes out in <laughs> anger. But he yeah. really means well. Like that's truthfully like his whole arc. And it, it, it hits you in the feels, honestly. And, it does. Um, and so Zagreus um, eventually gets to the top and, you know, um, does against his father's wishes only to find out that he cannot stay at the top and yeah. he must, he's doomed to repeat this loop eternally. But yeah, Josh, it is tragic. And that's, a, that's a, that, the best word for it. But the way that they go about it is so satisfying in, in the characters and everything like that. So it uh, really is worth, worth the whole, the whole tragedy worth the misty eyes for sure. Yeah, and it, and it makes you question a lot of the gods' motives, and that's something yes. that um, yes. Persephone, your mother, brings up, is like, part of the reason we never told any of the gods of your existence was that we were protecting you, because yeah. they like to take advantage of those situations. Yep. Um, they, they have ulterior motives that you don't expect, and so going through the game, getting the boons after that, it totally changes the way you feel about all of that, mm-hmm. and some even the way the dialogue plays out so yeah there's like several layers to it that are fantastic that really the the developer didn't need to do but here we have it and it it does hit it it hits deep i think and really is where this game like ascended above what it was even before that for me um and yeah. I was I was thoroughly surprised, and it, it only did make me want to play more because at that point, after you kind of recognize that, it does become okay. Zagreus is trying to meet, or not meet, but um, go spend time with his mother on the surface, and in the and limited amount of time that he has up there, yeah, right. He has it's this brief time. amount of time yep. that he can talk to her, yeah, um, and then. By the end, from what I understand, again, I haven't gotten there myself, but it does kind of become a point where Hades basically says, okay, you're making these runs through Hades to test 
my security system <laughs> essentially yeah. um, and so they end yeah. up working in tandem a little bit and so like all of the gameplay that you're doing is contextualized and done in a way that isn't cheapen like isn't cheapening like the story that came before mm-hmm. and i love that about this game Anything you want to add, Jared? I, I mean, we said at the top, like, this is a Hall of Games candidate, but, uh, you know, an entry for sure. You uh, know, there anything was else you want to add of... before we wrap up this conversation? Yeah. Um... Huh. I feel like there's so much we haven't touched on, like, to be perfectly honest. like We haven't touched on? I mean, we've touched it, but, like, we could talk about so much more. <laughs> yeah, well, think of something that we could talk more about. I'm sure we could uh, we could add a little bit more. I don't want to miss anything that's super important. Um, what I What's super important is that you level up slowly and you... You interact with all these characters, and you add the, and you make a lot of them meet, or you're you're um, adjusting uh, uh, sentences for some of these characters that are eternal, and you're like changing them up a little bit and giving them a break. Right. Or you're improving the lives of the people in your and your uh, whatever else. I guess one of the letdowns for me, so Cerberus as the guard dog of hell. Spoiler alert again, please um, skip ahead. Spoiler alert: Cerberus is guarding the door to the exit uh, of the underworld. At Styx, when you reach that final area of Styx. And it's only, what, four areas. Yeah, there's only, yeah. It's finite in that way. Yeah. So he is guarding the door to the underworld. And essentially, you never have to fight him because you bribe him with a treat. He likes you anyway, and then he leaves. And I was kind of like, I thought that was a little bit of a letdown just because the relationship with the other characters is that we are doomed to fight each other to the death, but it's okay because we're in the underworld. We can do that. And I, I almost was hoping to fight Cerberus a little bit because really? I thought that would have been cool. And another character that I would have been interested is if what would have added another layer of drama to this whole thing is if, is if Hades forced the members of his house, his household to fight you on your way out. Hmm. So like, if, they, if he if he forced Thanatos to fight you, if he forced um, uh, Nyx well, if, or well, if, yeah, if he forced Nyx or especially the one that I would would wrench my gut would be Achilles. If I had to kill my Oof. mentor to leave yeah. the underworld, how how dramatic would that be, Josh? So I guess it's yeah. not even that it's a flaw. It's just that I felt like maybe it was a slight missed opportunity, I guess, to add another layer to the game. Um, but the mm. game is so rich, it doesn't need it. It really doesn't. And, um, you know, the final boss is satisfying on on its own. So the we didn't mention Karen. Is that something you wanted to mention? Karen? Oh, the the um, sticks boat operator? Yeah, the, the Stygian <laughs> boatman. He, he, he offers I mean, what does he... Can, He's what does he you, do? <laughs> yeah. He's the he shop offers guy. You items that you can buy on the way out that improve your run, but also like there's a little bit of character development with him. Um have yeah, you tried to have just, you tried to borrow his money? No, I don't think so. So you actually so spoiler alert again, you you actually have the option to borrow his money. It's in air quotes in the game and it's underlined in red, like don't borrow his money. If you borrow his money, <laughs> you get to fight him to the death. Whoa. Yeah. And I it's a hard I did not fight, know dude. That. It is super hard. I haven't beaten him yet. <laughs> 
So Dude, Karen, yeah, that's crazy. But that's only possible if you unlock the story to a certain extent. So like the, yeah. the game just increases in richness the more and more you play. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, the the other thing I was going to mention is like we didn't talk a whole lot about bosses cuz each area ends with a boss. Yeah, it's the same um, boss too. Yeah. Well, kind of. Was well, well, certainly the the first area changes, you know. Yeah, there's variations on the bosses. So like the Fury Sisters, they all have a they have like, you know, hack and slash and then they have like kind of a a projectile attack and then they have, you know, kind of a rush attack. Um, and then the the Hydra changes a little bit. One of them is focused on like pounding the ground, ground pounds, and then others are like spawning enemies and stuff. So it changes. The only thing, actually the most consistent is the Theseus Minotaur yeah. fight. That's the one that never changes actually. Um, Which was my my pain, my weakness for sure. <laughs> they are difficult, yes. I found, you're exactly right though. You, if you beat the bull first before Theseus gets to the health point where he calls on the gods, it's a much easier fight. Yeah, because if you yeah. if you beat the bull first and then you focus on Theseus while you dodge his long range attack, you know, hide behind a pillar or something, um, and then he calls on the gods, it's much easier to manage without fighting them both at the same time. Another so. cool layer because you have like another hero whose favor yep. the gods are giving. Yep. To the story anyway, like it's just cool. Like they they're very fickle. Yeah. The gods of Olympus. The gods help you, and they're helping the person who's hurting you. So it's like, huh? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, but, like, if I could get past them, I could beat Hades. That was, like, my, that was, like, the testing ground. Like, will these boons help me enough to get past that third boss? And then I can move on from there. And it's cool that they offer, like, so much uniqueness within each boss, you know? Like, having two different characters team up and work together to take me down. And I loved that uh, Reddit thread that you sent, or that video that you sent me. That was oh, hilarious of so Theseus because he funny. does. He's like a very pompous, <laughs> yep. like takes himself way too seriously vibe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will vanquish you, demon spawn. It's like, all right, calm down, Thor. <laughs> yeah, and in, in Greek myth, like he is the enemy of the Minotaur, but here you have them working in tandem because they are, I think they're brothers. I don't know if they're blood brothers, but like in some way they, I think they Achilles- have some relation. So Achilles, uh, Theseus vanquishes the Minotaur in life. And then in death, he comes to the underworld and finds the soul of the Minotaur wandering Tartarus and makes a pact with Hades to bring him to Elysium to be his pal. So it's yeah, actually yeah. A, a sweet little story. Um, and so they fight you together and you got to best the both of them. And the bull is very graceful and thankful that, uh, gracious and thankful that he's in Elysium and Theseus is just this pompous windbag. <laughs> But uh, yeah. a whole a whole host of characters for sure. Yeah, and each of the bosses have their own characters. Like you got Theseus and the Minotaur. You got the Hydras, the most boring of the four, and then you have the Furies, starting with Megara, but then her two sisters come in, and each of them. Like the first time I reached a Fury that wasn't Megara, I was surprised. I was like, "What in the world is going on?" Yeah, and I can't think of the other two's names, but like. They they both have their own way of like approaching you, and the one that's like constantly talking like murder, yeah, to Tiffany. murder, yeah. yeah. I was like, oh my goodness, what is going on with you? <laughs> my word. So yeah, yeah. So like the bosses in and of themselves are their own unique encounters and tons of fun, um, separate from the regular encounters that you have throughout the game. 
All right, Jared. While we reach the end here, I think it's pretty obvious that we're going to start or by we're going to end here by stating that this is in the Hall of Games. Um, and so I, I think we can chunk it and move on. Like, it's, it's a very obvious thing. Uh, as far as roguelikes are concerned, would you say that this is the best one that you've played up to? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No doubt. I mean, you mentioned Moonlighter. I went back and listened to the episode. Very sad. I feel so terrible that I... <laughs> you felt <laughs> terrible at the end of that episode. You're like, Jared, no, I'm sorry to break your heart. I just wasn't that impressed <laughs> with this game. And I think you're justified, you know. Yeah. Um, but if, if but, Moonlighter can't get in, this game has to get in. Because it does it better. Yeah. It does everything better. So That's what know, I was going to say. Like, yeah. As far as the roguelike genre is concerned... Hades is the top. And I actually brought this up in a Red Pixel podcast. There's a game that's coming out. The name escapes me, but it, it basically is Hades, but with a like a magician's twist. And you're going to see that going forward. Like other video games that are aping Hades yep. because yep. this is just the top of the crop. Like it's yep. the breath of the wild of roguelikes. Yep. And because of that, I think it's while deserving of being in the hall of games but also while deserving for you to spend the money to get it like you mentioned at the price range you were expecting it to be lesser than it was oh yeah but here it is yep so uh hades being a part of the hall of games for sure any other shout outs you want to give for the game before we move on jared shout outs for the game um no, they're coming out with a hard copy. I, did you mention on the Red Pixel podcast? Is that where I heard that? I did, yeah. yeah. Briefly. Yeah, so they're, they're coming out with a hard copy. I'm not sure that I'll get that, but I think I might um, just so I can like lend it to friends or gift it to friends because it's absolutely uh, sure. tremendous. And every accolade that it's been given, it was nominated for multiple awards. Tiny little super giant studios. Tiny compared to like a studio like Ubisoft or Bethesda, yeah. you know? Yep, yep. Um, or, you know, tiny compared to them and absolutely stellar excellent performance um highly 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 recommend all right hades in the hall of games final notes for bard's backlog be sure to tell a friend about the podcast drop us a five-star review check out our past episodes for more backlog and uh backlog in-depth conversations that we have put out in the past games like animal crossing smash bros you certainly don't want to miss those episodes that's all very distinct from the hades episode thank you for taking the time to listen i hope you agree with our decision and if you don't tell us why ask vgb at gmail.com until then this is the video game bard and don't forget to keep looking hell in the face and saying today is my day (laughs) and we'll catch you all on the flip side next time i will mention briefly we next time we are going to be talking about fire emblem three houses so that is the next episode to look forward to see you then